Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay. So, let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. <laughs> well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I, just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. I want to start out today by being transparent and confessing to you that I've been there. Struggling with letting Jesus make all the decisions and having absolute control. And I have to tell you, I am amazed by the Lord's patience and his mercy to me. I'm grateful for it, and I would think that most of us in this room today can agree that the fact, the act of relinquishing complete control to the Lord kind of goes against the grain of who we are in our hearts. It is hard to give Christ the seat of control in our lives. And can we just relax a little bit and be honest and say, oh good, I'm not the only one that struggles with this. All of us had this thing that we go through when the Lord challenges, challenges us with the, the fact that he wants to be in absolute control of us. So I want you to relax for a few minutes. And I didn't show this video to make you feel guilty. I showed this video to illustrate that we, we all tend to get in this same place when it comes to giving Christ absolute control. We're in this series that uh, in this series that we've been currently in, we've been thinking a lot about living life as the me I want to be. And we have th I've asked you to think about that. Who is the me you want to be? Who is it that you desire in your heart of hearts to be? And our verse for this series has been found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite in Scripture. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance 
for us to do. And we've been talking about the fact that you are not an accident. You were not a mistake. Uh, and, and, and sometimes people go through life thinking, well, yes, I was. I wasn't planned. Uh, I came as a result of a mistake. That may be true, but God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. And you were made as you were made by the design of our God. He want, wanted to give you the personality you have. And some of you lament your personality. You think, oh my goodness, it's troubling. And, and you look at yourself and you struggle. And that's why we're in this series. Because we're, we're trying to look at um, how we can become the me I want to be. We talked about how miserable it is when we are the me I don't want to be. And we talked about how the best version of ourselves is the person that God Almighty created us to be. What he intended when he was making us and forming us in, in the womb of our parents. And last week, we saw that in our own strength, we can't get, we can't cross that big gap between the me I am and the me I want to be. On our own strength, we're not going to get there. And so we ended last week's service with several of us up here up front seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he give us power to move from where we are to become what God would have us to be and the me that we want to be. And... We spent a little bit of time, uh, again, talking about the misery of being the me we don't want to be. And we chronicled how Paul struggled with that. We looked at Romans chapter 7 where, where Paul said, man, what a wretch I am. Because the good I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I, don't, I do want to do, those are the things that don't do. Paul wrestled with this. He knew what it was to be the me I don't want to be. And so we sought the Lord. And we found that there is good news about that wide gap between the me I am and the me I want to be. There is grace to fill that gap through the Holy Spirit. Thank God there is grace to be. And so thank the Lord. And I just want to remind you of one more thing that we said. We are on a journey, okay? We're, I'm, I'm going to tell you when you're going to be the me you want to be. It's when you cross out of this mortal life and you cross into eternity and see God and he perfects you. And, perf- and you'll be perfect then. That's the me I want to be. Let me tell you, the perfect me is a lot better than this version. Okay? But I, in the meantime, am on a journey to become more and more like that me. The me that Christ intends me to be. The me that represents or looks a lot like Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do as I walk in my life. And again, I found out or we found out last week that we're not going to do it on our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. And so we sought him and we asked him to fill us. Fill the gap, O oh Lord, and work in my life so that I can be the me you want me to be. So how does a spirit-filled believer proceed? Well, I want to consider our scripture passage for this morning. I mean, again, we're going to look at something that Paul wrote. And again, this is Paul being very, very transparent about himself. Not very often will you find in scripture when Paul is penning the words that Paul is referring to himself. But we are looking at two occasions. And here is one of those occasions. We're looking at Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3. And I want to begin the reading with the latter part of uh, verse 4. And only to just let you know that the first three verses are talking about how people are criticizing him and putting him down. And so I just want to just jump in the latter part. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
Circumcised on the eighth, uh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow obtaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I already obtain all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Again, this was penned by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is scripture and it is every bit as transparent and personal as what he penned in Romans chapter 7, where he disclosed the fact that he was not living the way that he wanted to live. In this passage that we just read in Philippians, he is opening up about his attitude towards how his life is now shaking out. Years had gone by between the two passages. Between the time when he penned the words, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this law of death. Thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ. From that time to what we just read, years had passed by. A young man had become an older man. And he had lived his life. There's this, this period of time in between. And now he is toward the end of his ministry. And, and I want to share some of that. Bear with me a second as I digress long enough to tell you that when he was writing this letter, when he penned these words that we just read, it's a high probability that he was sitting in prison with the likelihood he would never leave it, uh, leave that prison alive. That was on his mind. As he wrote these words, he was in Rome and he would it would be the last time he would be in prison. And this was, again, toward the end of his ministry. He had already experienced the bulk of his life and his ministry. And this life included him becoming impoverished, stoned and left for dead, imprisoned multiple times, shipwrecked, beaten many times. He had known what true hunger True cold, true uh, pain, sleeplessness, and illness was. He had been misunderstood, criticized, hated, lied on, and rejected. He had lost relationships with his family members, almost all of them, and many close friends. All of it because of his relationship with and service for Jesus Christ. And all of that notwithstanding... This is a man with complete peace as he pens these words. I consider everything I lost garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. There is peace in his life 
And he is happy over the direction that his life has taken him. This is a man with real joy and self-contentment. Read the rest of Philippians. You'll see that joy. He is closer to God in the, at this point as he's writing these words than he's ever been at any other point in his life. He has many deep, endearing, meaningful relationships and friendships that God has provided to him. He can look back at a life of full, meaningful work that he has accomplished through the power of the Lord. He's been mightily used of God. He has opened many churches throughout the world. And God has used him to bring so many people to Christ. And you will read no regrets from this man when you read the book of Philippians. You will read no regrets about the fact that he had lost so much. This is a man who is now flourishing. He went from saying in in Romans 7, I'm a wreck. I'm a wretched man. I can't even do the things I should do. Now he is praising God over all that he, quote, lost because he knew that he has gained so much. And yet he says, there's more for me ahead. That's a life that is flourishing. And folks, I want to suggest to you, that's the me you want to be. You want to be that me. You want that version of yourself. Because that is a person who is on fire and is flourishing and has life to your life. And that's who I want. The question for us to consider is how does a man who has lost so much and suffered as much as he did have that kind of peace and is able to rejoice like he can? I would submit it's because Paul was clearly much closer to me that he wanted to be than he was when he was in Romans 7. I think he gives us a blueprint to experiencing the same kind of fullness of life and richness of life that he had. I need you to hear the words of Jesus Christ once again found in John 10.10. The thief cometh but to steal and kill and destroy. And I just camp on this again for just a couple of seconds. I need you to remember something that's so important. As a pastor, I think this is one of the most important things I can say to you. The devil will never want a truce with you. He's not going to be content with you and he having some kind of agreement together where he's not messing your life up. He's leaving you alone as long as you are lukewarm. That's not what he'll ever do. He is your mortal enemy. His only goal is to take you out. Destroy you, steal from you, leave you as empty as he can and make you into the me you never wanted to be. He wants you to be living your nevers. He wants you to be living a life of absolute misery until your sorry soul is cast into hell. And he laughs about that. Please understand, there's no medium ground, no middle ground with him and you. And just because you say, look, if I don't hotly pursue the Lord, maybe he'll get off my back a little bit. Just because you do that is not going to make him feel content. He'll let you do that and he'll give you the illusion that he's backing off because he knows he has you then. But ultimately, his goal is to leave you destroyed, killed, taking everything out of your life and to steal every bit of abundance and life that you can have. But I love what Jesus said. That's what the enemy wants. The thief does that. He steals from you. But I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. I want that life. 
And I know you do too. And that's what we're talking about. And that's what Paul had discovered. He had this life that was a life of of abundance. And I think this man has helped us, this, 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 this apostle has helped us to understand how it is. What is the blueprint to be to me I want to be? I think he shows us it is a concept that I will refer to as let go and take hold. Let go and take hold. Paul took us back to the days in the very first part of this passage that we read from Philippians of his, his being very religious his days before he knew Christ. Verses 4b through 6. You can read through that as it shows up on the screen again for you. He's talking about all the reasons why as a Jewish man. He would have every reason to be very confident that he was God's man. Because he had it going on. As far as a Jew could have confidence in themselves, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He came from a good tribe. He had a good lineage. He had a good mind. He had the highest of all training. Paul had all kinds of wealth. He had all kinds of admiration that was heaped upon him. He had risen in rank. He had, um, every from every appearance, he had a flawless, and he even said this, as for the law and a, and a, and a religious life, I was flawless. I kept them all. I was perfect in that and all of it was there and he 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 as far as a religious man could live a life as best as anyone could ever do it he was doing it better than anyone else at a young age and then he met jesus and in short order he learned it what god's plans for his life were ended up being a far cry from the life that he was living that god had other plans and what he was doing was a joke And all of his confidence in his religion and all of his money and all of his popularity meant nothing to him in eternity. And he had a choice between continuing to live the life that he was living or to follow what he learned about Jesus Christ and living a life that God had intended for him to live. And we read his choice beginning in verse 7. And I love this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And you can read the rest of those verses down to verse 11. They're wonderful verses. He's talking about how all of the things that he had his hands on and all of the prosperity he had in his life and all of the notoriety that he had achieved, it was nothing. It was refuge and garbage to him because he realized that what he was losing in that meant nothing for him. And it was to me he didn't want to be anyway. And now he was becoming or had become the me that he wanted to be. And so let's look at this concept of let go. Here's what the apostle discovered. Living in such a way as to know Christ the way that Paul knew knew Christ is what it takes to be the me I want to be. I need to say that again. Living in such a way as to know Christ in the way that Paul knew Christ is the way that we become the me that I want to be. That is your richest life. And maybe some of you don't believe that, and I pray you do. But I am here to tell you I'm not worth my salt as a pastor if I don't tell you the truth. You can't have abundance of life if you don't know Christ like Paul knew Christ. 
It can't happen. You need to be on that road, on that journey, in that seat, if you will. That's where it needs to be. Any other way of living, no matter how, quote, successful it may appear to be, is ultimately empty and unfruitful for you. It's a languishing life. And Paul let go of his old life. All of the success and all of the recognition and all of the wealth and position, he let it go and he lost it all quote-unquote, for the sake of Christ. And what's more, as I said, when he compared that life to the life that he was then living as an older man, he considered it garbage. When juxtaposed against having a deeper personal knowledge of the Lord, all the rest of the stuff is junk and therefore meaningless to him. And now that was what was close to the end of his days on earth. Paul was so grateful that he had let go of all of that junk and he was living a different life. Please pause for a few minutes and let that sink in. Please consider the power of the words that we have read in Scripture this morning. By the world's standards, Paul had it going on and he was rejoicing at the end of his life that he had let that go. Because he had taken hold of something far more valuable to him. I need that to sink into me and you need that to sink into you. It is the secret of having the abundance that the Lord wants us to have. The abundant life that we can have. I recently read a Facebook post and I am paraphrasing this Facebook post so you know. It says something like this. Have you ever wanted to just run away? And start all over. And I'm, I bet you, and I, don't, I won't bet because I'm not a gambler, but I would imagine that there are some people who, in your spirit, you said, yep, love to run away. I'd love to start all over. Love to start from scratch. Some of us have that sense in our lives of wanting to leave our lives behind, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about something different. A story has been told of a college student in the 19th century who really loved God. And I don't know, uh, for those of you who are getting like me and have uh, grayer hair or lesser hair or whatever, um, as you are getting older. But if you will remember, go back in your mind to when you were in your late, late teens, early 20s, you know how idealistic you are. And the world is a lot more black and white to you than, than the subtle tones now that have taken on as you've gotten a little older. That's just part of being in that age bracket. I remember it very clearly. And as a college student, this guy just, he, he had a heart. He wanted to love his God and he wanted to be on fire for God. And, and it, it bothered him as he was looking at his spiritual walk. He just felt like he was missing things and he desired deeply to grow in his walk. And he wanted to reach new heights in his walk with the Lord. So he really began to increase his prayer life and he began to ask God, help me, help me to to change and to grow. And he prayed that the Lord would make him more holy. Make me godly or God do this. And during that period of time, he, he felt inspired and he grabbed a hold of six postcard uh, size uh, cards and each one of them, he put a letter on it until he spelled out the words, let God. 
And his thinking was, just let God have control. Just, just let God do the work in your life. Just let God work in you. And he, this went on for a while. He had it up in his dorm room, and he would come in, and that would be the sign he would see. Big letters, let God. And, and he felt like that's what he was trying to do. Just let God, let God do what God wants to do. And, and one night, um, he, he came into his room. His window had been open because it was a beautiful day. And the wind had blown down the letter D. And he looked at it. And he felt as if the Spirit of the Lord said to him, and this is what he sensed, that the Lord said, my son... I can't do in your life what I need to do until you let go. Until you are willing to let go of what you have and what you are and all of your dreams and aspiration. Until you let it go, then I can't do what you want me to do. Do you remember the skit as we were looking at it? I, I, I one of the things that I liked in that short little skit was the point where the the girl's climbing all over Jesus, you know, because she's trying to argue with the Lord. And finally, she's holding the stool and, and he says, look, this has to be a choice. And she says, take it. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to take it from you. You got to let it go. You got to be willing to give it to me. And I think you know where I'm going here. It is the struggle of the human heart, isn't it? It isn't that easy for us to just let go of everything. It isn't that easy to imagine that if I give all that I got to the Lord, all that I am to the Lord, what will he do? What will happen to me? Will he change my hairstyle? And if I'm a woman, make me wear a holiness bun? And, and make me go somewhere to like some foreign country where there are a whole lot of bugs. And, and I remember as a teen thinking, oh, man, if I give myself completely to God, he's going to make me marry an ugly woman. He's going to pick my wife and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to like her. And I'm going to roll over in the morning and say, good morning, dear. And I'm going to hear wolf, wolf back. And I don't want that, Lord. I was so scared that God was going to mess my life up. I really was. I, I wrestled with letting go. If I let God make all of my decisions, then, you know, I'm going to end up in a place I don't want to be. And I, I remember some people talking to me about it. I just know I'm going to live in a place that has no windows and bugs are crawling all in. I hate bugs and I hate heat and all this. And I, just, I, just re, I just remember how some of us younger people when I was in Bible college, we wrestled with saying, okay, God, fine. Finally, I want to let go. And some of us would go to the altar and there was an old chorus that we used to sing in the holiness churches. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or valley or sea. I'll be who you want me to be, dear Lord. And we would just sing that. Well, you should have seen us in, in chapel services sometimes. I'll go where you want me. I mean, it was like a battle. And can we just be honest and say that's where we are? It's we don't want to let go. And we struggle with it. And we give it lip service. Yes, yes, God has it all. He makes all the decisions sometimes certain periods of my life. Yes, he has absolute access to my wallet, just not the rest of my bank account. You know, or whatever it is. You know, I heard the silliest joke about, uh, uh, about one 
a group of a pastor and a rabbi and, and a priest and those kind of silly jokes today were talking about how they how they tithe and how they give and, and it gets to one of them and I won't use it because it's stereotypical but anyway it gets to the one of them the one of them says I just here's how I give my money to the Lord I, I pull it all out and I have the cash and I throw it in the air and whatever he keeps he, he can have whatever falls on the ground is mine that's how we let go. That's what we are. That's what we do. And, and, and I want to tell you, that's not what this is about. That's not how any of this works, to use a euphemism from a TV skit. The thing is, many Christians get stuck here. I'm going to tell you that perhaps next to receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior through faith and being filled with His Holy Spirit... The biggest step in your life that you will take towards being the best version of you is letting go. Let go. And as I said, we get stuck here. We struggle to be the me that we want to be while refusing to let go and trust God. And it's hard. Lifeguards are trained uh, for years anyway. They were. I, I think it's still so. They were trained when I was younger. I... Lifeguards were trained that if you have someone drowning and you don't have a flotation device or something to give to them, swim out to them. But if they are flailing and they are thrashing, don't grab them. Because if you're in water over your head and you go to somebody who is thrashing to save their lives, they will climb you and they will try to save their lives. It's instinctual. It's not them trying to be mean or kill you, but they will kill you, and there's a high likelihood, as long as they're struggling, that two people will drown. And so what they, they were trained to do is swim out there and say, relax, slow down, stop struggling, let me help you, and just give them encouragement. But don't let them be close enough to touch you. And as soon as they finally give up and surrender, then help them to shore. That's how their training goes. And I've thought many times about the times in my life when I'm out there flailing. And I'm just trying, trying, struggling. And I'm fighting for my life. And I want to let go. And I can hear the Lord just right there saying, Ken, let go, let go. Ken, trust me, let go. And until I just exhaust myself and I can't struggle anymore, and say, I give up. This isn't, this isn't working. That moment is when the Lord can swoop in. That moment is when the Lord can use me and do things in my life. When I let go. Can I say this without hurting your feelings? And we know this, don't we? Don't we understand that God knows more than we know? Don't we? We know that, don't we? We know that God knows best. But it's harder to trust him than we want to admit. But listen, it starts with this step. I don't know any other shortcut for you. I don't want to make it too hard for you, but this is biblical. If you are going to be the person, the me you want to be, start by letting go. Let go. Leave your life behind. Be willing to walk away from it all. Let go. Put your habits down. Put everything down. And let the Lord give back to you what he believes, what he knows you need. That's when real life change begins to happen. When we relinquish control. When we let go.
He'll wait till we do. He'll watch you flail because he is not going to force you to give him that seat. Second thing, after you let go, become a servant. You see, Paul embraced a biblical principle, and it is biblical. It is cover to cover of being a servant to Jesus Christ, being a servant to God. Being a servant of God is something that is here in this book, and many people consider them the servants of the Lord. Old Testament and New, they called themselves that. Noah, David, Samuel, on and on. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. On and on and on you hear. But let me just show you a few of them with uh, several chapter 1, verse 1 verses in the Scriptures. All New, all New Testament at this point. All chapter 1, verse 1. Romans 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart of the gospel of God. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes. Second Peter 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And now Jude, the book of Jude, 1, 1. Jude, a servant of Christ and a brother of James. And then Revelation 1, 1, the last book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his, gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. And it goes on and on from cover to cover. That is a biblical principle. You let go and you become a servant to the Lord. And it's not a slave in the sense of God is a hard taskmaster who is nasty to you. It is a bond servant. It is because I love you, Lord, I dedicate myself to you. But a servant, nonetheless, a servant is not in charge. A servant exists to serve their master, his or her master. A servant always puts the wishes of their master above their own. A servant conforms to the master's vision for them. A servant relies on his or her master to provide the necessities of life. And a servant serves. And I just want to challenge you. Let go, become a servant. Become his servant. Here's what I will promise you. God is not in the business of wrecking lives. He isn't trying to make your life miserable. Turned out that God didn't want to give me an ugly wife. Turned out he didn't. Turned out that I just kept praying and somehow God made seeing eyes blind and she fell in love with me. I don't know how that happened. I know I married up. I know she's better looking than me. I don't care. God took care of me. I don't know what she did wrong, but God took care of me. And I'm grateful for it. God's not here to mess up your life. God's not here to make things hard on you. God is here to give you life for your life. And that's a wonderful thing. Take hold. The Lord does not expect for you to give up everything and walk away empty. He doesn't exist to impoverish you. He wants to take away things that are hurting you anyway. Let me tell you something. Your dreams, they'll hurt you. His dreams will bless you. Your purposes, they'll hurt you. You know who you end up serving? By the way, you're going to be a servant. You can serve yourself and your own selfish desires, and your heart will take you captive. Don't think so? Live a little while. You'll see. And you'll experience the misery of what it takes and what it is to be selfish and be all about you. It doesn't take long before you have a whole can of worms and your life is yuck. But I'm going to tell you something, man. 
What I love about the Lord is that he, he, his heart for you is to give you abundance in your life and to fill you with joy. And he's already taken hold of something so beautiful for you. And what Paul was, was learning was everything that I let go of, I let go of because I found Jesus and I'm hanging on. And there's nothing in Paul's life by the time he is writing these words in Philippians, nothing more valuable than Jesus to him. He loves the Lord and he enjoys being the Lord's servant. He loves him and he gets a richness and a peace and a fullness in his life that is indescribable. And he would say that it would be joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's where he is. He's holding on to that. And he even says toward the end of what he wrote, not that I've grabbed a hold of all of it, but I'm hanging on to the Lord. And I know one day, because he's taken a hold of all of the good stuff from me, that one day I'll get it all. I'll be in heaven and I'll get all of the richness and all of the glory and all of the wonderful things that I don't deserve, but because of Jesus. So here's who you, what you're taking hold of. Take hold of him. Hold on to him and watch where that takes you. Let me tell you, it's going to be a ride. Paul found that out. What a ride. Man, you hold on to Jesus, buddy, you're going to go places. It's not a sedentary life. He's going to scare you to death. It's like being on the biggest, baddest roller coaster you ever thought you would ever be on. It's going to be exciting and wonderful and full and rich because that's how living for Christ is. Are you in the speed? Hang on to him. He's going to get you places fast. It's just who Jesus is. And if you don't think so, take a little while just to watch what happened to the disciples every time or as they tried to follow Jesus Christ. It's hysterical. It's one of the funniest things I've ever read. I love watching what Jesus put the disciples through, how scared they were sometimes, how astonished they were sometimes. He'll do that for you. He did it for Paul. And I just need you to know that the Lord has something for you. Here's what I know. Paul had a very unique life, and he was uniquely made by God for the life. He had a specific ministry, and, and, and it turned out that his ministry was extremely challenging and difficult. But God had hardwired Paul to love it. Weird as it sounds, you would have hated it. I would have hated it, but Paul loved it. He loved the challenges. He loved it all. There was pain in it. There was difficulty in it. But Paul ate it up. I need to say, i give you a, a real life example, I believe. I don't think Mother Teresa's life was always easy. She loved it. She loved it. Because she was pursuing Christ. And she loved her life. And she chose poverty. And lived a difficult life at times. But she loved it. It was what she was built to do. And I'm saying to you that God isn't going to put you out there and make you miserable. Just the opposite. You hold on to Christ and see how much you love your life. What a relationship with the Lord that Paul had. He had taken hold of the Lord and far more valuable to him than anything he had ever lost. He let go. And he lived a lifetime of taking hold of what Christ had for him. And he knew. He said it. I love when he got to, he knew he would be dead in days. What he wrote, he says, um, I'm getting ready to be poured out like a drink offering. And I have run my race. And I have finished 
my course. And ahead of me is glorious. And he knew that God was about to reward him richly. And he knew that in the, in the comparison of the difficulties that he went through in this life, to see his Savior face to face, just that one glimpse would make that all go away. Because he loves Jesus. And then to spend eternity with him and all the things that God would bless him with, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, or mind conceived of the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And I have to tell you, you have no clue how good it's about to be for you when you step into eternity. And 10,000 years into eternity will feel like five minutes. And your lifespan here on earth will be like a blink. There's something so much better. So much more rich and more full and more satisfying for you. And it's in being the me you want to be. It's in letting go. So that then God can do stuff. It is a becoming his servant. And hanging on to the best he can give you. And it is in taking hold of him.